introductory sketches. Thinking, reading, and perhaps knowing the dead. Content warning. Mentions and discussions of death, the Atlantic slave trade, and colonization. Watching the sound of music with my mother is a haphazard holiday tradition. Not something that we have carved in stone, but something that just ends up happening most years when I visit my family in December. Nestled in this habitual return to my perceived point of origin is an understanding that we, quote, start from the very beginning, a very good place to start, end quote. This is a clean, simple idea that disintegrates almost immediately when I begin to write. Though it is arguably the most linear form of communication, the unfolding letters, words, and sentences rarely come as one long, uninterrupted string of ideas. Much like the way I experience time and memory, writing comes in pools, sediments, and shards. In several small European towns, when the cemeteries have filled or some other infrastructural impediment has been identified, mayors and other elected officials have made edicts outlawing death. I spend a lot of time wondering why the dead feel so remote, so unreal to the world I live in. Most of the representations of the dead that I grew up with were spooky, scary, or bizarre reflections of the day-to-day existence of the living. They were essentially ghosts, abstract, shimmering, translucent women in moth-eaten wedding gowns, or Dickensian orphans in pageboy hats and fingerless gloves. They had issues to be sorted out with the help of the living, most concerning their wrongful deaths, sometimes coded as unfinished business. I wonder whose life's business is truly ever finished. In short, they were portrayed, at worst, as narrative devices, and at best, as inhabiting a parallel existence which intersects somehow with the distinct world of the living. I need contact, like skin on skin, hand against the air, or smoke slipping across one's lips and cheeks. I want to know a haptic relationship with the dead, a handshake across time, a cross-dimensional glance, or a good, slow, spectral fucking. When I look at photographs, I have an urge to imagine I am looking into the past, but the longer I contemplate these images, the more I see them as time travelers that have been hurled into the future. In these moments, and so many others, I am awestruck by the capacity of people and their ideas to persist across time and to endure the vast, unforgiving oceans of not only days and years, but centuries and millennia. For me, crossing certain thresholds, like the conceptions of life and not life, inevitably involves encounters with death and the dead, following Barth's assertion that history is, quote, simply the time when we are not born, end quote. Though I think this conception of history has its own cracks, I take from it a deeply felt conundrum of connection. What methods are available for bridging such a divide between what we call life and what we call death? Is it possible? Who has tried? And how have they succeeded? What happens to consciousness when we sleep? Is it a slight return to the void from which consciousness emerges? From the soup of the cosmos, the soul, or the nothing that bookends life? I have always heard darkness described as a lack of light, but I have never heard light described as an absence of darkness. Teju Cole has posited that darkness is, quote, information at rest, end quote. Entrance into life and exit from it are often important markers for the power structures of capitalism and patriarchy. Birth is either the inheritance of wealth or the emergence of new bodies to labor and or consume. These links, or repeats, form chains across time, a rational, forward-moving trajectory for time. A nice, clean idea, but not the whole story. The bonds of queer kinship, for instance, 
move in unprecedented and idiosyncratic ways that are not determined by biological conceptions of family. Queer lives emerge from the fabric of cis-heteropatriarchy, a structure which has trouble dealing with an ontology beyond its own warp and weft. This oblique connection, for me, forged through desire and shame, produces an urge to connect to a past that many of my immediate family cannot fully comprehend. What one often finds early in a search for history is the immense and looming specter of the AIDS crisis, with its incalculable losses and incomprehensible grief. Fellow queer millennial writer Sam Moore describes this connection in their long-form poem, All My Teachers Died of AIDS Thusly. Quote, A break in the middle of what should be my history, a black hole consuming everything around it, refusing to let the light in, refusing to acknowledge anything except the absence left in its wake, end quote. My interest in the past comes lashed to my interest in the dead, as both an imagined force in the world, a historical reality, and also a speculative population with whom I might connect. I often wonder what a world would look like in which the dead have political and social representation. A friend once commented on my practice, noting that there is a vein of thought that runs through my work which attempts to reconcile my desire to befriend dead people with various social, material, political, and philosophical factors which might inhibit this desire as an attainable goal or even a worthwhile thought experiment. I am constantly enamored with photography's ability to be both portal and surface. It is an ever-shifting maneuver of revelation and concealment. A camera moves bodies, both in front of its lens and behind it. A photographer moves through the world toward a subject. A subject is moved into the field of view or out of it, wishing to be photographed or trying to resist capture. I knew a man who would violently shake his head back and forth whenever a camera was pointed at him so that his face would always be blurred. I also know people who are drawn to the camera's gaze, hoping to be pinned to the night, the party, the opening, or another person caught in its view. In a project deeply entrenched in the irony and cynicism of postmodernity, Tom McCarthy has articulated a conceptual project which looks to literalize the space of the dead. The International Necronautical Society is a fictional group of scholars directed by McCarthy, which produces a number of text, performances, and installations. The project was initiated by a manifesto in the Times, which laid out the main objectives of the society. Chief among these objectives was breaching the boundary between the living and the dead, imagining the afterlife in spatial terms, and crossing into this other space, opening it up for travel, exploration, and eventual colonization. I doubt the more sinister implications of this project were lost on McCarthy, but I always pause when encountering this work to consider the sovereignty of the dead. What are their rights, and who represents them? How do they represent themselves? And what would it look like to live in a world where the dead had political representation or could wield power, both officially and unofficially? The Plantaciocene, a combination of the words plantation and Anthropocene, is a concept of our current socioeconomic and environmental epoch, coined by Donna Haraway and Annette Singh, which looks at the Atlantic slave trade and the rise of the plantation as a key shift in colonialism, which enabled rapid economic growth amongst European colonial powers. This, in consort with industrialization and the rise of the European industrial class, was one of the driving forces behind modernity. The economic stratification of Eurocentric culture and the immense wealth that continues to fuel our world was built on the trillions of dollars of labor extracted from enslaved Africans and indigenous people on indigenous land over 300 years of the Atlantic slave trade. 
In considering how enslaved people were instrumentalized on stolen or swindled land for the benefit of remote European colonial powers, theorists such as Henriette Gunkel and Aisha Hamid have stressed the importance of considering the millions of people who were taken from Africa but did not survive the Middle Passage. Though all enslaved people will be worked to death or worked until they died, if such a distinction is possible, all these lives and deaths need to be understood as enabling and haunting our current manufactured climate catastrophe, with all of its associated comforts and horrors. This is one of the many ways we inhabit people's afterlives. It is for this reason I consider the place of the dead in my life and in my work, not to dramatize this relationship with seances or other elaborate theaters of connection, but because they are already felt here and now, their lives tethered to my own, across a divide that is both gaseous and solid, traversable but remote. It is an abstract, oblique connection that I look to chart.